Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that puts a magnifying glass to the role of cars and transport in our society and ends up burning a hole in it. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including Australia's vehicle market suffers from a lack of supply, the 11th generation Honda Civic coming soon, some cars that still come in a manual, Alfa Romeo's SUV and Toyota upgrades their pricey sports car with what is becoming some standard technology. And in our feature interviews, we look in more detail at the past, present and future of manual transmissions. And in quirky news, we are looking at the subject of never looking a gift horse in the mouth, if you pardon the pun. It is the story about a free car that came with a surprise in the boot. You can always get more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are podcast on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. So let's start this program first with the news. Australian vehicle sales for October decreased by 8% compared to 2020. The industry body, the FCAI, said that this represents the impact of ongoing microprocessor shortages on international supply chains, but the supply of vehicles to Australia is expected to stabilise in 2022. Some trends are still apparent. Increased sales in smaller passenger cars and SUVs and an increase in people movers and utes. The country of origin figures might indicate who has more supply. The top three are still Japan, Thailand and Korea, accounting for two-thirds of total sales. China is fourth, with a year-to-date growth figure of 7%, but a 9% growth for October, which nearly doubled their sales from last year, a percentage growth well above other major players. Germany and the USA achieved 4% market share, while none of the remaining 20 countries achieved more than 1.4%, many less. A small number of Honda's new 11th generation Civic have arrived in Australia. More shipments are scheduled in coming weeks ahead of an official launch before the end of the year. The first Honda Civic appeared on the world stage in 1972 as a very small four-door sedan or three-door hatch. With an engine under 1.2 litres, it became very popular, helped along by the 1973 oil crisis. The latest model has a 1.5 litre turbocharged engine. Honda says that they have given intense focus on the classic man-maximum-machine-minimum design values, whatever that means. It has certainly grown in size and now looks less like a stubby hatchback and more like the flowing style of a fastback sedan. Unlike Kia and Hyundai, who tune their suspension to Australian roads, Honda boasts that the Civic has been tuned on European roads. No prices as yet. We recently tested the Hyundai i30 hatch with a manual transmission and wondered how many non-automatic models are sold. In the total market, it is likely to be less than 5%, but Guido Schenken from Hyundai says their smaller models sell more manuals than this. i30 still comes in a manual. We actually sell several different versions of the i30 with manuals, but just to give you an overall idea, about 8% of our total i30 sales are for manual. 
and that's across our hatch in sedan. But as you move up the range to more sort of performance vehicles, you'll see that number actually increase. So a model like our i30 N-Line, which is, let's say it's a warm hatch, that's up to around 10% manual. And then when you move up to our full-on hot hatch, the i30N, we're up to 30% manual transmissions. But we're about to launch the i20N, which is, a, I guess, a light hot hatch, slightly smaller, and that will be manual only. Alfa Romeo has adopted market trends, like many other prestige manufacturers, and is producing an SUV. The Alfa Stelvio, named after an Italian pass, is a medium-sized SUV in the over $60,000 category. The strongest Alfa look is the nose of the car, while the gentle sloping roof helps make the sides stylish, but the tail is typical of many ordinary SUVs. It comes in four specifications. The base model, the Sport and the Veloce, have a 2-litre turbocharged four-cylinder engine of various power tunes, and there's the fire-breathing V6 Quadrifoglio. All have an 8-speed automatic gearbox and all-wheel drive on demand. The interior design is not overstated, yet had a flowing chic that blends all the features together without any appearance of tacking on necessary items. Drive-away prices are around $71,000 to $159,000, depending on your state location. Metallic paint costs an extra $1,500. Toyota has upgraded its GR Supra Coupe with the addition of wireless Apple CarPlay as standard. This may not seem a huge step for a car that costs over $87,000 for the GT and $97,000 for the GTS plus on-road costs. But the ease of phone connectivity is now one of the standard aspects of any road test. Bluetooth connectivity, rather than having to plug in a cable, seems straightforward but is complicated if the car company does not wish to commit to Apple Maps. Some brands then have Bluetooth connection in their more basic models that don't have a navigation system, while their more upmarket models with navigation need a cable to get Apple CarPlay operating. The integration of technology that you use frequently and therefore are comfortable with into the car infotainment system is an increasingly important feature. And that has been the news. Guido Schenken is the Senior Public Relations Manager for the Hyundai Group here in Australia. He has an interesting heritage in motor racing and a passion for enjoying a drive. Hyundai has a number of cars within their range that still have manual transmissions and they represent a part of their market that is still very important to them. So Guido, the i30, you still sell the little hatch with a manual gearbox? Yes, of course. i30 still comes in a manual. We actually sell several different versions of the i30 with manuals. But just to give you an overall idea, about 8% of our total i30 sales are for manual. And that's across our hatch and sedan. But as you move up the range to more sort of performance vehicles, you'll see that number actually increase. So a model like our i30 N-Line, which is, let's say it's a warm hatch, that's up to around 10% manual. Oh. And then when you move up to our full-on hot hatch, the i30N, we're up to 30% manual transmissions. Some of the N models you were going to only make manual, is that right? Yes, yeah, so when the i30N originally launched, it was manual only, but it has been 
Uh, we have introduced a DCT this year, but we're about to launch the I-20N, which is, a, I guess, a light hot hatch, slightly smaller, and that will be manual only. Manual gearboxes have been cheaper, and I guess still are. Is that in part you keep them because it's a good entry-level price? Uh, I guess traditionally automakers like to, like to advertise a lower driveway price, and manuals was part of that. But in reality now, most people buy SUVs, and our biggest two selling SUVs, Kona and Tucson, actually don't offer a manual transmission. It's automatic or DCT only. One of the big trends, Guido, is that uh, the more efficiency that has been built into automatic and dual-clutch transmissions, is that a significant change? Well, I think traditionally people actually opted for a manual over an old automatic transmission because it did have quite a vast fuel economy improvement. But as we move more towards dual-clutch transmissions or DCT transmissions, we actually find they have a better fuel efficiency than a traditional manual. So... Looking at something like an I-30, the DCT is about 6% more efficient than a manual. Is part of that because it has more gears? Comparing a DCT to an automatic transmission, it definitely operates in a more efficient manner. So there's less performance loss through a DCT in the way it's designed. I guess over a manual, maybe a DCT, because it can be controlled by the car, would probably drive better than you can (laughs) in a way or make smarter choices. You need to say that delicately amongst a number of rev heads, but you're absolutely right, I'm sure. Do you find that price is perhaps more significant for the sedan, the i30 sedan, and so perhaps a manual might be that part of the market for that reason, for price reasons? I think when it comes to performance, it's people who want that pure driving experience. So people who still enjoy a manual and being more engaged with the vehicle tend to go for the manual. I don't think the price has that much to do with it. Perhaps there's a, a younger people, is it, that are buying the small hatches, which is a nippy bit of performance, and still, therefore, some would still want the manual gearbox? Yeah, I guess it just comes down to personal preference. Definitely with the lower-priced cars or entry-model cars, you do find that the manual does bring the price down a little. So our very our small sort of compact SUV venue still does offer a manual transmission. Did you learn on a manual? Yes, of course, I learned on a manual. I always wanted to drive manual, and I wanted my first car to be a manual, but I don't think I had a choice anyway because my dad was an ex-racing driver, so I was forced to learn on manual. In fact, Formula One. Yes, yes. Although they've given up with the manual transmission now in Formula One, it's, you know, all paddles. So perhaps your children, if you choose to have any, might well be far easier for them to be slotted into an automatic. A bit of the issue these days is you're always, you can only learn on the cars your parents have. So if your parents don't own a manual, you're going to start with an automatic and that's all you'll know. <laughs> so maybe I do need to invest in a manual. Some of the older cars were manuals, which is often the, the option you give to your children, isn't it? Not to... Yeah, the hand-me-downs. What will happen in the future, do you think, Guido? Uh, well, I think ultimately in the future, as we head towards EV, we won't require a traditional gearbox anymore. You know, electric vehicles don't need it. They just run on a, on a direct drive system. So things like manuals, DCTs, automatics will be a thing of the past, ultimately. Do you think that pushes us more towards a car as a almost commodity as you, you hop in and the notion of what you and I might have grown up with, with the joy of driving, is perhaps not as strong as it once was? 
definitely, particularly with uh, all this autonomous driving technology coming in, you won't really require the need to actually drive. But there will always be those people out there who, you know, love the experience. One analogy you can use is, is horses. Like, we still go and watch horse racing, <laughs> even though the horse has basically been, you know, superseded by the car. Yes. So there will always be traditionalists and purists who want, you know, to enjoy driving. Well, the horse used to be out the front of the carriage. Now we tow it behind in the car. Yes. Electric vehicles and the acceptance of those, do you think that's changing as well? Very much so. Sort of everywhere now. I think as production ramps up and pricing comes down, it's going to be much widely adopted. We also obviously need the infrastructure as well because at the moment it's not right for everybody, depending on where you live and type of house or renting or it's you know it's difficult to get access to a proper electric charge port. But we will adapt to that. Yeah, ultimately we will. Yeah. And then driving your family on a holiday, you obviously need access to charging stations along the way as all the uh, infrastructure expands. Hydrogen as well, you know, that's, that's where we're headed. You're very keen on hydrogen as well, aren't you? Which, horses for courses, if you pardon the expression, mm-hmm. is very uh, adept to replacing diesel engines, so trucks and that in particular. Yeah, so the best way to look at the future is anything we use a petrol engine for today will ultimately be an electric vehicle and anything we use diesel for is perfectly suited to hydrogen fuel cells. So as you mentioned, buses, trucks, potentially trains, shipping, all those sort of larger vehicles are perfect for hydrogen. And that was Guido Schenken, who is the Senior Manager for Public Relations for the Hyundai Group. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Nissan has just announced some details of the all-new 2022 Pathfinder. The current model is all sold out, so buyers will have to wait until next year to buy the latest model. Nissan's large SUV introduces a host of new technologies and debuts a customisable seating configuration that can be delivered with eight seats or with a second row captain's chairs for even more cabin personalisation. It comes with a 3.5 litre direct injection V6 engine matched to an all new 9-speed automatic transmission. All Pathfinder four-wheel drive models come with Nissan's all new intelligent four-wheel drive with seven position drive and terrain mode selector. Mode selection ranges from standard, sport, eco, snow, sand, mud and rut, and tow, and it's all displayed as a pop-up notification on the instrument cluster. Other features include an all-new infotainment system featuring Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, wireless smartphone charging pad, Bose premium audio with 13 speakers, and digital intelligent around view monitor. Full specification and pricing will be confirmed closer to the launch. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, we've been testing a manual car, a Hyundai i30 hatchback. But it's all very well to talk about a modern vehicle. What were manuals like in the past and learning to drive one? A person who can reflect on those years is our good friend Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys. G'day, Alan. Hey, David. How are you? I'm thinking about my youth more than anything. Now, did you learn on a manual? You must have a very good memory. Well, because I'm so old. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Alan. I couldn't help myself. 
Well, of course, David, we all learned to drive manuals in those days. I mean, you know, the car I went for my test in was a five-speed Alpha Sud that I think it had two kilowatts and four newton metres. <laughs> uh, a colleague, our friend, uh, uh, another Alan, Alan Finlay, he said Alpha Suds, when they were good, they were good. When they were bad, they were horrid. And that's exactly right. But gosh, it was a bunch of fun. And it was only the base model. And, you know, David, I think we've lost that. We don't really have that anymore. The new cars, they're just too easy to drive. You were engaged with the vehicle then, weren't you? Well, you had no choice. Well, that's one where, as a manual, you would have had to think ahead if you were coming to a hill. You had to prepare yourself to go down one, two or more gears. Well, indeed, you had to prepare yourself for corners, for hills, and overtaking really you needed about four or five kilometres of road. They really had no power whatsoever. But they were fun. They still handled beautifully. With that beautifully high revving engine, you could really leave it till quite late to change gears and it would just shrug it off and, and ask for more. Underpowered and manual is often a recipe for fun. And it was fun and the gears were beautifully precise considering how old that car is now. Whereas I drove, a, for example, a Tirana of that uh, GTXU1 style in a four-cylinder, and it was the gears were approximate. Let me just say that I drove a Porsche around Oran Park when it was uh, obviously a race circuit, and you only knew which gear you're in when you let the clutch out. Exactly. It was an old Porsche 911. Well, I think those Porsches had a reputation for being, I don't know why people love them so much, to be honest, because they were terribly difficult to drive. The clutch was not very nice. The gearbox was approximate. Approximate is an, an interesting word. The thing about gearboxes was that uh, the clutch was that they were sometimes, particularly if they're more towards the racing clutch, they were either on or off. There was no sort of easy feathering of the clutch. And they were heavy. Do you remember how heavy clutches used to be? Oh, I, I drove a, uh, I was dating someone that had a Ferrari Testarossa. A couple of things that it had was this metal gate at the bottom of the gear stick so that you knew which you were going. You had to look down originally to see because it was sloppy otherwise. I think that was the way they made it less sloppy. But the clutch, it was ludicrous. And as you say, on or off, and you just about needed two feet to work it. Do you know the clear indication that changing gear or automatic, just putting it into an automatic, has become so blasé and practical rather than fashion? That when you had a manual gearbox, there was a great deal of sense of style with the knob on top. Oh, yes, people personalised their knobs. Mm. In fact, I knew a pool player that had a, an actual cue ball. Ah. I thought that was just amazing. You didn't have any gears on the top of it, and that was in a Jaguar which I thought was particularly brilliant. American Graffiti, the support character in the yellow Model T, was it Model A? What Ford had, was it a skull on the top? Someone will tell me. I think so, yes, yes. Uh, no, no, it was a piston head. Wasn't it a piston head? And he gave it to the young girl as, I won't say trophy, that indicates something not quite right, but he gave it as a, something to remember the car by. A few weeks ago, possibly a month or two, was an interview we did with our friend Barry Green, who went 
with a 2003 TVR sports car down the Cheddar Gorge in the UK. Ooh. A classic car, a big engine and much power in a lightweight body. And as he said, no driver aids. It brought him back to his youth. Well, of course, they didn't even have ABS in those TVRs. You had a BMW, didn't you? That was manual? No, 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 it was automatic. The car before that was manual. Ah. Uh, it was a, an old Mazda 929 four-door hardtop. It was absolutely gorgeous. It, you know, not a huge amount of power, but it was a long, windowless, four-door, long uh, coupe-style car, like those old Rover coupes. Oh, yes. Yes. It was just beautiful. Like I say, very light clutch. And for the time, quite precise gears. I think it was a, an 86 or 87 model. Some clutches, I ended up with cramp, particularly not suited to driving through urban areas, the city. Some of the cars, especially the ones that have a very low seating position, your heel is, is on the floor, but your foot is, is kind of almost pointing backwards. It's not comfortable. And to be honest with you, David, these days, an automatic car, is more economical. If I were to mention double shuffle, would you be thinking of the dance floor or changing gear? I'd be thinking of the casino. <laughs> and crying. <laughs> oh, that's back to the dance floor, isn't it? I think exactly right. Still crying. But I think, David, the, the thing that a lot of young drivers, a lot of new young drivers completely miss out on is they're not able to get into a, a manual car and work it. They simply do. They they simply don't know what that third clutch, uh, third pedal is for. Well, there's that meme that is put on the back of some cars of it is an H pattern that defines as a millennial anti theft device, isn't it? And I don't think I don't know many millennials that actually have cars. To be honest, let alone have a manual car. Going even further there, isn't it? Yeah, no car at all. All right, Alan, it's changing times and we'll reminisce and moan about the modern youth of today, but our experience had its ups and downs. Indeed it did, David, especially up on the mountain. No, never mind, that's another story. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, David. And that's Alan Service from GayCarboys.com, a website that gives Alan's particular view on functionality, on practicality, and perhaps, and perhaps a lot on style you're listening to overdrive this week we drove toyota's spruced up small suv the chr gr with a host of body enhancements sportier suspension and larger 19 inch alloy wheels and there's also a hybrid engine toyota's gr sports body kit includes a squared more aerodynamic front bumper Bold lower grille, fog lamp bezels that sit lower, high-grade LED lighting front and rear. There's white brake calipers with GR logos on the front and GR emblems at the front, side and rear. There's been some suspension retuning, lowering the car by 15mm along with tuned shock absorber damping, coil spring rates and stabiliser bars. Inside the GR theme continues with body-hugging black leather accented front seats, leather-wrapped steering wheel, dark silver highlights around the instrument panel, piano black surrounds for the centre console and power window switches, and a GR-branded ignition button. Priced from $37,665 plus the usual costs, the CHR GR provides a sporty look with slightly better handling, a lot of visual appeal, but disappointing performance. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. 
Brian uh, Smith joins us to look at some more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. Brian, should you look a gift horse in the mouth? Well, David, you should possibly also beware of Greeks bearing gifts. <laughs> and, uh, and I think there's, there's two sides to the same coin when you're offered something for free. So a couple of, uh, of gentlemen um, in uh, Kapoa County in the US uh, around the, the sort of uh, Jackson, Mississippi area, saw an intriguing sign on a car. It said free car. And being, I don't know, um, enterprising gentlemen, they decided they would take the free car, drove it around uh, several towns in Mississippi before they happened to open the boot only to find a dead person in the boot who apparently, one of the reasons that the car was free, I think it was because it came with that, that free dead person in the back. Mm-hmm. So they're, uh, the police actually are trying to work out who, uh, who owns the body. I suspect that the people who now own the car possibly <laughs> may be considered to own the body, David. <laughs> if you find something valuable in the boot of a car that you've taken that was given to you for free, is it, is it yours, do you think? Well, you use the word valuable. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, that would apply in these circumstances, but you may have to live with that. You did say that they found a sign, they found it with a sign on the car saying free car. They allegedly found it on the side of the road. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. It was parked next to a junkyard in, in a town called Byram. They say a sign on the front read free car. It had been there for a while with a key in the ignition, ignition and uh, no one else had taken it. And, uh, and so the interesting twist, the person in the boot apparently is the registered owner of the vehicle. Well, the other thing was that some of the workers in the junkyard didn't report the sign free car. They oh, so you think that skullduggery is at play? It's not for me to comment other than to use the word as strongly as I should, allegedly, but that's allegedly. part of it. But now, the body had been in there for days, surely there might have been some indication that something was afoot. Well, old David, uh, certainly there was a foot in the boot, but um, <laughs> it, it may be that the seals on the car were in particularly good condition. But it certainly would give you a shock opening uh, the, the boot to find that. My brother, I, uh, when he was a young man, bought a Charger, mm. and uh, he, was, he was not a very careful fellow. My brother, he, he just sort of liked this car. He bought it more or less without even looking at it very well. When he got it home, he opened the boot only to find um, what looked like several months' worth of fishing bait and fishing gear in the boot of the car. The snimmel never came out of the boot of that car. (laughs) There's some funny situations like that. There's a story of a guy who sold his father car without looking at it much. His father had it for a long time but passed away, so the guy said he'd buy it. And then the guy came back and said that he found a, a dummy in the back which raised terrible allegations against the poor father. It turns out the poor father used to put it in the passenger seat to go down the transit lane, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> There's also, of course, the story about the 16-year-old boy buys a Chevy Camaro for $15, and the father checked it out and found it was the wife was selling the car of a husband who had been unfaithful. Whether that's an urban myth or not, I'm... I, I suspect it uh, very much is, but it, it's a classic example of the dream of getting something for nothing, really, isn't it? Well, indeed, David, I think these two gentlemen, um, you know, looking on the, 
the bright side and the silver cloud, the silver lining in the cloud. Uh, I mean, they could have got themselves down any T3 lane they would like to name, I suppose. Perhaps there are some cars that if you got for free, that would be charging too much, given that, well, in many ways, you put your life at risk and, and the quality of the car is so awfully bad. Perhaps when the resale value of your vehicle becomes zero, perhaps that's a measure that we should be commenting and passing on to car manufacturers about the quality of their vehicles. Indeed, David. Hmm. Still, one will always keep their eye out for a good bargain, but with a body in the back, that's not quite as good as one might have expected. Brian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, David. And that's Brian Smith. He's a transport expert, but he also likes to look at the more unusual stories in motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Guido Schenken, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help during this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.